Amen. If every young person at least Central Baptist Church can proclaim that as boldly as those little ones there, they're going to be all right in this world we're living in, knowing they can trust in the very inspired Word of God. Wonderful singing tonight. Thank you, young people, for that. And I appreciate their faithfulness. My goodness, at their age, I was scared to death to stand in front of a church with a microphone and sing. As a matter of fact, at my age, I'm scared to death to stand in front of a church with a microphone and sing. So I appreciate you guys being a blessing so much. And uh, thankful for these young people and their desire to serve the Lord and just their willingness to do that. What a blessing that was tonight. Let's take our Bibles out if we could and turn to Matthew chapter number 14. Matthew chapter 14. As this morning, we're going to go to a very familiar passage, one that we know well. And maybe so we can find a little more meat on the bone than uh, we, uh, we have seen on the surface of Matthew 14, as we're going to be looking tonight at something I think will really just connect to what we looked at this morning on the subject of faith. Matthew chapter number 14. Just remain seated. <clears throat> we're going to read several verses tonight. Look down to verse 22, and we're going to read down through about verse 32. Several verses tonight, um, but we need to read all of them to get the context of the message. Matthew 14, 22, the Bible says, And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent them the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. In the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit, and they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, Come. When Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. When he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? And when they were come into the ship, the wind ceased. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you, Lord, for your word again tonight, and thank you, Lord, for the message and song that we're reading out of a book that we can believe and trust and put our faith in. Lord, we know every word is true, and that, Lord, you've preserved truths for us tonight in it. And I pray that, Lord, we'd receive exactly what you've sent to us. I pray we'd open our hearts tonight. Lord, I know there's many cares in life at this moment, but I pray you'd help us to set them aside. Help us receive your word and respond to it in a way pleasing to you. And once again, Father, I thank you for what you're going to do in Jesus' name. Amen. I remembered a quote this afternoon that I heard many times uh, as a teenage preacher. It was one my dad had used many times, and I heard other pastors use it before. And it's one I never forgot because it was one that you wanted to aspire to. Uh, I definitely cannot say that I lived up to it by any means, but it was a quote, probably the most famous quote, uh, involving D.L. Moody. It was actually a quote from someone else that he uh, had heard and had mentioned, and uh, it was somewhat attributed to him at times. And this was it. The world has yet to see what God can do with a man fully consecrated to him. And D.L. Moody responded to himself, by God's help, I aim to be that man. It was something that was mentioned to him in a conversation with Henry Varley, an evangelist, while he was preaching in Dublin in 1872. 
We know the ministry of D.L. Moody and what God would use D.L. Moody to do to shake this continent and others for the cause of Christ and be used of God in a miraculous way. There's no doubt that it was God was the one working behind the scenes in the life and through D.L. Moody. It is also said that before he died, he was quoted as saying, the world has still yet to see what God can do with a man fully consecrated to him. That's kind of hard to imagine, one that was used of God as much as D.L. Moody was used of God, and he set out to be that man, fully consecrated and set aside for the service of God, and was used of God mightily to see hundreds of thousands to not only hear the gospel, millions to hear the gospel, and many saved as well. And yet he said on his deathbed, or not long before he died, that the world has still yet to see what God would do with a man who's wholly, wholly consecrated to him. Now, what is the point of that quote tonight? I want to bear mentioning that tonight. Uh, And basically what it's getting at is seldom, if ever, do we see Christians ever live up to their full potential. Uh, I don't know that we ever can really see that 100% in anyone's life to where they live up to all that they could do. And sadly, most Christians serve within the capabilities of themselves. Uh, We merely do the best that we can. Now, don't get me wrong. Doing the best you can is very important. And I think we ought to do the best we can. But it's not until we get to the end of ourselves that we find the beginning of God. And God begins to step in and do what only God can do. Because the Bible says, with God, all things are possible. The Moody desired to be used of God far beyond himself. And he set out to do that. And oh, how God did use him. But he had the quote. He says that the world is still yet to see that. And I believe this afternoon that too often we do limit ourselves by the confines of our capabilities. We limit ourselves. We look at a task or maybe something God's leading us to do or something God's called us to do, and we decide whether or not we can do that based solely on our capabilities, and we seriously limit ourselves because of what we are or not able to do. The sad thing is we're allowing the natural man to really establish our spiritual limitations. Now, let me tell you tonight, if you allow the natural man, this flesh body that is very incapable, if you allow him to decide what you do for the cause of Christ, I hate to tell you this, you're going to live a very limited spiritual life. And I believe if just 10% of those who are truly born again, children of God, I believe if just 10% of us sought to be consecrated to the use of God, where we allowed God to do through us what we can't do of ourselves, I believe you'd see a different world than we're living in today. But so often we just sit there on the potential and we miss out on what God could do through us. I read an interesting story several months ago. I've been waiting for an opportunity to use that. But the really, you know how it is when you find a good illustration, you're just waiting for the, great, the right opportunity to use it. Well, tonight's the opportunity to use it. In 1799, a 12-year-old boy by the name of Conrad Reed was walking by the Little Meadow Creek in what is today Cabarrus County, North Carolina. As he walked down by this little creek, he found an interesting shaped rock that had some sparkling dust in it. But oftentimes, it's fool's gold or just a mineral that's shining in there. He took it home, showed his dad, and his dad said there was nothing to it. They took the 17-pound rock, and they used it for a doorstop for over three years in their home. One day, the dad got to staring at it. His light glistened through the window, and he noticed the sparkles in the rock. I wasn't exactly sure what it was, but he had a friend that was a jeweler in Fayetteville and decided, I'm going to go into town and see just what this might be. It might be a mineral. might be worth a few dollars. And as soon as he got to the jeweler, the jeweler recognized right quickly what it was inside of that 17-pound rock. He says, what would you take for it? He says, I guess, look, if you really want it that bad, I'll take a week's wages 
for that 17-pound rock. A week's wages back in uh, 18, uh, 1802, I believe it was, was $3.50. He said, I'll take $3.50, when in all actuality, what was sparkling out of the midst of that rock, in between all of the rock and the sediment and the silt that had come together to form that rock, there was gold inside of that rock, which today would be worth over a quarter of a million dollars. And here they were using it as a doorstop. For three years, they had a quarter of a million dollar doorstop sitting right there in their house, and he was almost willing to sell it for $3.50. Here's the point. He did not know what he had. And finally, when he decided to look into it and see there may be more to it than just a rock or a doorstop, he found that he had something that was truly priceless. Now, isn't that how the power of God often is with our life? The power of God often sits in our life somewhat dormant like that rock as a doorstop. We never really look into it to see exactly what might be in that power and what capability might be waiting on us if we just took the time to look into what God's provided for us to use for his glory. I believe as D.L. Moody stated, still today the world is waiting to see what God could do with a group of people, if not just one man, but a group of people who desire to see what God could do through them if they just set themselves aside for his service. Look at David. We see David in the Old Testament in 1 Samuel 17 where he just decided he wanted to see what God would do and know how God used David to kill the giant. We see Gideon willing to let himself be used of God to do something that was beyond himself. And Gideon, as we preached about last week, with the pitchers and the torches and the trumpets, uh, overcame an army of over 130,000 people. Daniel let God do what only God could do through him. Elijah let God do through him what only God could do through him. Now, why do you think God preserved all of those examples? Now, think about that. You know, a lot of times we read these, these stories to our children before they go to bed, and that's wonderful. But you know, do know that God preserved them in there for more than just bedtime stories. God preserved all of these instances where he did things through people beyond themselves as examples to us of opportunities of how God could use us to do things that are beyond us. But we're going to have to follow in Peter's footsteps. Yes, after all of his ups and downs in the life of Peter, I do believe he shows us a wonderful example of what could happen if somebody just decides to trust God to do something through them beyond what they're capable of doing themselves. Now, what's happening here? Peter is desiring to walk on water, something that is impossible, something that is unheard of, and something that is personally beyond the ability of Peter, and yet we see him doing just the same. Look down, if you will, to verse 29. The Bible says, and when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. Peter got to do the impossible. Peter got to do the unlikely. Peter got to do what was well beyond his personal capability because he trusts God to do something through him that he could not do of himself. Now, folks, tonight, it's my prayer that Central Baptist Church would be full of people who had the mindset of Peter in this instance. There are times that we don't need the mindset of Peter. I'll be honest with you. We can definitely find those, and maybe we like to use those as excuses not to serve God, but I'll tell you, this is one instance where Peter got it right. And we as the people of God ought to be willing to follow in his footsteps to be a part of something that is impossible to us by ourselves. So tonight we're going to look at this very simple thought on how to take part in the impossible or taking part in the impossible. Wouldn't you like to take part in something impossible? Uh, all around uh, Disney World, 
they have always doing construction, and they always have quotes on the walls uh, as they do this construction there. One of the quotes is by Walt Disney, and his quote says, it's kind of fun to do the impossible. Can I tell you, Walt Disney didn't have a clue about what it was doing the impossible, and that's only doing things through the power of God. And yet we as the people of God have that opportunity. But we've got to follow three simple steps on how to take part in the impossible. So let's jump into it if we could. Look down, if you will, in verse number 28. The Bible says, Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. Now notice Peter's asking for permission. Peter desires to go out on the water with Christ. I want you to ask this question tonight to yourself. What was it that was motivating Peter to ask Christ for permission to come out on the water? I believe the reason and what motivated him is the first thing we're going to need tonight. Notice number one, it begins with want. If we desire to be a part of doing something that might be considered impossible and something that we are personally incapable of doing ourselves, understand the very beginnings of that, it begins with desire within each and every one of us to do something that's beyond us. Now, folks, don't overlook the simplicity of this tonight. The odds of accomplishing a task drastically increase when you have a desire to do it. Amen? All right? I don't like taking out the garbage. I've made that very, very clear, and my wife still doesn't get the hint. All right? I've been hinting about it for 15 years since we've been married, and she's still not getting the hint. Matter of fact, I'm just learning to take it out. You know? Do you know why I have a problem taking the garbage out? It's just not something I want to do. All right? I actually don't have a desire to take the garbage out. Like I said, she stacks it in front of the door now and uh, makes it to where I have to move the garbage in order to get out. And I do have enough character that instead of just setting it out of the way, I'm just going to go ahead and put it in the can. But think about it. How many things do you do tonight or you do well are things that you actually have a desire to do? And if you have a desire to do it or that want to, that drive to do it, you're going to find that the odds increase that you're going to get it done. Can I tell you the main reason tonight that Peter walked on the water and the other disciples didn't? This is very simple. He wanted to. Why did he ask the question? Christ did not prompt him. Christ didn't say, Peter, ask me to come out on the water. No, he didn't say that. The Bible just says, Peter said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. Peter simply desired. Now, folks, I want to tell you something. If you can't get a desire and a want to, to be a part of something, to do something through the power of God that you are incapable of doing of yourselves, can I tell you, you're dead on arrival. There's no way you're ever going to go on to accomplish something for God if there's not that desire or that hunger to be a part of that. I've said all of my Christian life, I get jealous about reading biographies of great men and women of God. And getting to see what God did through them on the mission field, how they just surrendered and they just went, and how God used them and blessed them and provided for them and worked through them. And it wasn't their capability. It was the simple fact they desired to be used of God. And boy, here I am some 100, 200 years later, and I get jealous. Like, I want to see that in my life. Can I tell you, it begins with a desire. That's what the Bible tells us in Matthew 5, verse 6. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Can I tell you, I like to eat. I love the fact that the Lord used eating illustrations. You wonder why I use food so much like the brownies this morning? It's because I'm following the footsteps of the Lord. He often talked about food. He says, blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. Hungering and thirsting is something we all know very well. Now, I don't know how often we are really hungry, to be honest with you. 
I mean, how often do we really go hungry to where we haven't had food in a while? Usually it's like second breakfast, right? You know, second breakfast, third lunch, something like that. We have all of these little meals that are in between, not just the regular three meals. And after a while, that stomach starts growling and you start craving something. I was sitting on the couch the other night, I don't know, midnight, one o'clock, studying, and man, my stomach just started growling, and I wanted some of those brownies that Miley made. Even though they were cake-like, they were still brownies, and I wanted some of those. You know what I did? It motivated me to get up and walk into the kitchen and get one. I hated myself after it. I said, you slob. You're sitting here at 1 a.m., you know, you're having brownies and a nice cold glass of milk, you know, and you wonder why you're getting fat and your pants are breaking. That's exactly why. But you know what motivated me? I wanted it. I desired to have it. Do you know why Peter got to do something that the other disciples didn't get to do? He wanted to. What motivated him to ask God or to ask Christ, can I come out on the water with you? He just wanted to. And I'll tell you tonight, if you want to be a part of something impossible, seeing God do something beyond your personal capability, you got to want it. You're going to have to want it. Jeremiah 29, 13, the Bible says, and ye shall seek me and find me when ye shall search for me with all of your heart. You search for me with all of your heart. It almost sounds like he's saying, you got to want it. You got to want it. You know, too many of us tonight, we are waiting to do the impossible when we should be wanting to do the impossible. You know, nothing wrong with waiting on the Lord. Patience is a good thing. But can I tell you something tonight? We should take our waiting and transform it into wanting and let that motivate us to take the steps to be a part of what God desires to do with us. I believe it was John R. Rice. I'm not sure, but I do believe it was John R. Rice who said something along this line. Some of you are waiting to be drafted, and yet you need to realize that you can enlist. Some of you are waiting to be drafted, and you need to realize that you can enlist. I'm just waiting on God to call me up. I'm just waiting on God to need me and let me know what he needs me to do, and then I'm going to step up and serve. You know, you can enlist. You can step up and go to God and say, God, I desire to be a part of your work. As a matter of fact, I want you to notice something. It was Peter that initiated this conversation. Notice that. Peter was the one who spoke up first and says, if it be thou, bid me come under the water. Folks, I'll tell you, if you look throughout Scripture, you're going to find oftentimes those who are used of God to do something beyond themselves were the ones who were personally motivated to begin the conversation. You know, it wasn't God telling David, come you to come down here and kill Goliath. David went and says, hey, what shall be done to the one who kills him? David says, who is this guy down here? David's the one who goes to Saul. David's the one who says, thy servant will go and fight. You know what David is showing us? You got to want it. I mean, folks, I know people, listen, in their 40s, 50s, 60s, who are sitting around waiting on God to use them, when the fact is, if they just stepped up and went to God and says, God, I desire to be used of you beyond myself, you might just find God would find something to do with you. But we've got to be willing to enlist tonight. Elisha, when Elijah asks him, he says, what do you want before I go? God's going to take me to heaven. What can I do for you before I go? You know, I'll be honest with you. I think, you know, can I have your Bible? You know, maybe could I have that pair of shoes you got? But boy, Elisha swung for the fences. He could have just said, hey, I'd, I'd like to do some of the things you did. No, he didn't say that. He said, I want a double portion of your spirit. I want a double portion. Elisha had the boldness to step up and say, I want twice as much of what you had. And oh, if you will just go read your Bible, you'll find Elisha did just that. He was used of God. Why? Because he had a want to. He simply desired it enough to ask for it. 
James chapter 1, the Bible tells us about wisdom. That's something we can all use. What does the Bible tell us about wisdom? If any man lack wisdom, what does it say? Let him wait on God to just deliver it to him via Amazon. I don't know if Amazon is carrying wisdom yet. They should be any day now, as much things as they carry. It didn't say that wait. If any man lack wisdom, the Bible says let him ask. Let him ask. What's motivating the request for wisdom? It's a desire for it. You ever just get tired of being dumb? Some of you are like, no, I've never known what that's like. Well, I do. You ever get tired of not knowing things? You ever get tired of trying to find the right answer of yourself and can't find it? I told my wife the other day, we were getting ready to go to bed, and uh, I had, um, we're reviewing our day a little bit. I was just telling her about my day and hearing about her day. And I told her I'd, uh, I just got so frustrated with myself. I said, boy, we're trying to move our church forward and make decisions. You know, got like I talked about tonight, the bus and choir, maybe getting things rolled back out. And I said, I just got to hear God clearly. I got up extra early that morning. I went in, it was still dark, and I'm kneeling down on my couch, and I'm praying. And I kind of went through my normal prayer time, and I really didn't have any clarity yet. And I basically told God in a nice, submissive way, I'm not getting up. I'm going to sit here, I'm going to pray until I have clarity on some of this stuff. You see, I don't have it of myself. I can't just take the old magic eight ball and shake it up and say, what should we do with our church right now? That's not going to work out very well. I don't have it of myself. And so I just stayed there on my knees, on my couch, telling God, I need to know what you want me to do. And I just plan on staying here until you answer me. And I, I respectfully hope it was going to be soon, you know. And he did. He gave me clarity. I told my wife how good it was to hear from God. But you know what it took? It took a motivation to just say, you know what? I want to hear from you. I need to hear from you. I hunger to hear from you. I thirst to hear from you. And old folks, if we just desired to be a part of something impossible, as Peter was used of God to do something impossible, if we just wanted it bad enough to begin the conversation with God. That's why he said, if you lack wisdom, you got to ask. There's so many things the last seven months that I have not had the answer to. There's so many things. You can go through all the pastoral manuals and Bible college books, and there's nothing in there about an epidemic. Nothing in there. I've talked to some of my college professors. I've talked to elder pastors, and uh, they've never gone through one either. But you know what? There is one who has the answer. He said, if I was willing to call upon him, what motivates us to call upon God? We've got to desire it, and we've got to want it. I believe tonight our greatest need in ministry is want. I believe the greatest need in ministry is want. The church has become very satisfied. As a matter of fact, C.S. Lewis said this, Our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. He says, For we are far too easily pleased. Our Lord doesn't find our desires too strong. That means we don't go to God and say, God, I'd like a double portion of your spirit. And God's like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Let's scale it down just a little bit. You know, your kids ever come to you and you ask them, what do you want for your birthday? And they tell you, you know, a new 4x4 truck. And you're like, well, let's kind of back it off a little bit. How about go with a 4x4 Hot Wheels or something like that? Why? Because we're going to have to come up with that. If we can't produce that, God never balks. Why? Because he has all power. He has exactly what we need. But the problem is we're too easily satisfied. We get satisfied doing the possible. I'm satisfied doing the best I can when there's water that could be walked on if we simply had the first thing tonight, and that's a want. Number two, look down if you will. The Bible says back in verse 28, he says, bid me come unto thee on the water. Verse 29, and he said, come. The Bible says that when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. 
Now, this is what's interesting. We all desire, listen, if you're saved tonight, I honestly hope there's something burning inside of you to see God work through you at least one time in your life beyond yourself. To see God do things that you hear about other generations seeing God do. I hope that's in all of us a little bit. He begins, number one, with a want. But notice now it's shifting into the second stage. We see Peter's desire moving from something he wanted to do to something that he was willing to do. All right? This is very important. Notice he wanted to in verse 28 because he asked the question. Christ says in verse 29, come. And now, well, notice what Peter's doing. He's getting up and coming down out of the ship to walk on the water. Number two, the impossible begins with a want. But number two, it requires a will. All right? It requires our will. You say, well, what's the difference in a want and a will? Remember this. Being willing is when you put your wants to work. Okay? When you want to get something done, you've got to first desire it enough to be willing. And willing heart is when you take the wants and you put them to work. That's an action that comes from it. I read an interesting story just today about a young soldier on the battlefield. And bombs were blowing up everywhere. Bullets were whizzing by their head. And he's running around looking on the ground. He runs to his commander and he says, or his commander says, what are you looking for? He says, I'm looking for a foxhole. I want to climb into a foxhole. And he says, well, you're standing on one. He looks down. He says, where is it at? He says, it's right there underneath your feet. You just have to clear the dirt out first. You see, what he was telling was he wanted a foxhole, but in order to have the foxhole, he had to be willing to do the work in order to have that. Now, folks, listen, want is great, and you can want to be used of God all day long, but there's an indispensable second part, and that's where we put our want into gear through our will. We see Peter doing that. Jesus said, come, and the Bible says immediately Peter got up, and he's coming down out of the ship to walk on the water. I remember when I was in Bible college, uh, I had a good preacher friend of mine, good guy, real good guy. As a matter of fact, he doesn't live too far from here now. And uh, he was one of those guys that would always get you in trouble. Uh, but he was a good guy, okay? I know that sounds weird, but he was a good guy, I promise. And uh, he was always trying to get me married. You know, I was in my early 20s in college, and, you know, everybody's always trying to set you up with somebody. You know, I got a niece in North Carolina, or, you know, I got a daughter in New Mexico or something like that. And I said, look, I'm just waiting on God to send me the right one. I really did. I got tired of people trying to fix me up with somebody. I really did. I said, I just believe that God can bring me the right one when it's time, and I'm just going to wait on him. Because, look, I have trouble picking out clothes that matches. I said, can you imagine me trying to pick out the right spouse, my mate for life? You think I can pick that out? No, I'm just going to wait on God to bring me the one that he wants. I'll never forget. He says, Brother Maya. He called me Brother Maya. He says, Brother Maya, sooner or later, you're at least going to have to talk to a girl. And I says, I understand that. Somewhere you've got to initiate the conversation. And by the way, I got the last laugh when God brought me my wife in the helicopter. I didn't have to go look for her. God just brought her to me. Here's what I want you to understand tonight. We all have a want and a desire to be used of God. But sooner or later, you've got to put your want in gear, and that's what makes you willing. I'm willing to do what I need to do to be a part of what God wants to do through me. And folks, sadly, many of us miss out on that. Why? Because we're not willing. Book of Exodus, we read about Moses gathering material for the tabernacle. This great work. He says, God wants you to be a part of his work. God wants to meet with you, and you come into his presence, and his presence be within the camp. And we're going to build this tabernacle. And he gives them a great list of all the material in the tabernacle. But what did they say when they took up that offering? 
He says, let them bring of a willing heart. He said, hey, if you want to be a part of this work, you want to be a part of building a place where the presence of God is there and the presence of God, the camp was built around the very presence of God. He said, you want to be a part of that? You've got to have a willing heart. We read the book of Nehemiah, that great work there. There's no doubt in 52 days that God rebuilt that wall. 52 days, but God did it through the people. And what did the Bible say about those people? The Bible says those people had a mind to work. Do you know what that means? It means they were simply willing. You know, I wonder tonight what would happen. I believe the group of those who have a want is probably this big. But then you have those that are willing to take that want and put it into a willingness. It shrinks a whole lot. Why? Because it requires work. We've got to be willing to come down out of the ship and do our part to be a part of that work. This is why Isaiah reminds us in chapter 6, verse 8. He says, whom shall I send and who will go for us? He says, who will? Who will? Who is willing? And oh, how we could be used of God tonight if we simply were willing to let God do through us what we can't do beyond ourselves. There's an anonymous quote that says this, every church is filled with willing people, some willing to work, and others willing to let them. I read that this afternoon, and I chuckled back in my bedroom. I said, oh, my soul. That had to have been a pastor that wrote that. Every church is filled with willing people, some willing to work, and others willing to let them. And that is the truth. Now, let me say, Central Baptist Church is full of wonderful, wonderful, willing people. Right now, with the whole quarantine, I'm having trouble finding things to do for all of the willing people, okay? So, I'm not saying we're not hard workers. we got some great workers here. But oftentimes, that's the truth about a church. You have a small group that is willing and a larger group that is willing to let them do the work. But can I tell you one sad truth? Only those that are willing to do the work get to be used of God to be a part of something that's impossible. How many things are we looking at in our world today? I do not watch the news often. It just, it messes with my spirit. By the way, can I tell you tonight, uh, be careful what you let mess with your spirit. All right, there's nothing wrong with being informed, nothing wrong with keeping up what's going on in our world, but be careful letting things sour your spirit, okay? And I'll watch the news from time to time, and you're watching what's going on in our world. I mean, the two policemen in Los Angeles are sitting in the hospital, and there are protesters right now outside of that hospital chanting that they hope they die. The policemen were ambushed, cowardly, shot, and they're laying in the hospital, a man and a woman. The woman has a six-year-old son, and there's protesters outside the hospital right now chanting. They hope that they die. I mean, this world is messed up. And I'm thinking, there's no way we come back from this. There's no way we can turn this around. It's simply impossible. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit says, really? I could. Why? Because with God, all things are possible. But can I tell you how God gets his work done? God gets his work done through willing people. People who graduate from the want stage. Listen, there's nothing wrong with wanting, but sooner or later you've got to take that want, put it to work, and that work is being willing to be used of God beyond yourself. And oh, how wonderful it is when you see God do through you what you can't do of yourself. Revelation 3.20, the Bible says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. We know this well, but listen close. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him. Here's Christ saying, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Now notice, his knocking is showing us his willingness. What did he say? The Bible says, if any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him. Christ is telling us what he's willing to do. Oh, listen, it ought to get our toes tingling just a little bit tonight. Excited, thinking about what God's willing to do right now through us. But wait a minute. There's a barrier between us and him. 
He says, if any man will hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. But notice there's a contingency. We have to be willing to open the door. We know what God desires to do and what he will do. And all throughout the word of God, that's what this is all about. He has showed us what he can do. But right now there's a door that stands between us and the power and the potential of God. And that door remains closed as long as we're not willing. And if we don't open that door, then we deserve to get or not to get all that comes our way. This is why Luke 9 tells us, if any man will come after me, if any man will come after me, sooner or later, you got to get up off of your want to, and you got to have a will to, and you put that will to work and let God do what only he can do through us. So number two, how do we be a part of something impossible? It takes a want, and then it requires a will now, Matthew 26, Christ tells us something very important that I think we'd all agree with tonight. He says, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. If you're saved, I believe there's something burning in you. It might be a pilot light tonight, but at the very least, there's something burning in you. To be a part of something that was undoubtedly God. To be a part of the wall at Jerusalem to be a part of something like the Red Sea, to be a part of something where the hand of God was so evident. I believe we all have that burning on the inside of us. That's the spiritual part of us. Oh, how our spirit is willing and the spirit desires to be used of God and to see God work. But what is the problem? What's the downfall? This weak stuff right here. This gets in the way. That's why Paul says, I keep under my body and I bring it into subjection. Paul says, this stuff right here is weak and keeps us from being used of God to do something beyond ourselves. So Paul says, I have to make this stuff be willing. And by the way, if you leave it up to this, you will not be willing. You will not want to get out of bed on Sunday morning. You'll not want to be here on Sunday night. You'll not want to be here on Wednesday night. I was talking to a, uh, a pastor the other day, and um, he's been in ministry for, for almost three decades. And uh, now he's resigned his church, and he's working a secular job uh, until the Lord gives him direction. And I, I really appreciate him and commend him uh, for being willing to do that. I know oftentimes in ministry there's this horrible unspoken rule that you never step down. Uh, but I'll tell you something. If God tells you to step down, you're always stepping up. Amen? And so now he's got a job, and uh, he told me, he says, look, he says, this is the first time in 30 years I've had to work a job on Wednesdays. He says, getting off of work on Wednesdays, getting home and getting showered and getting to church. He said, that's tough. I have way more appreciation for people who have to get off work and go to church. I said, amen. I know what it's like. Riding that garbage truck on Wednesdays, getting off the truck or working at the garbage company, coming back preaching and getting back on the garbage truck. I mean, look, it's tough. If you leave it up to this stuff, it's going to tell you, nah. Not worth it. You leave it up this stuff, you're going to stay in the boat. Do you know why the rest of those guys stayed in the boat? Because they listened to their flesh and they listened to their fears. And yet Peter listened to Christ. Notice what he said. He said, come. The Bible says Peter went out to walk on the water. Why? Because he was willing. And the last thing is probably the most difficult. There's one more thing that's going to make it possible to be, uh, to make it possible to be a part of the impossible. Notice the Bible says in verse 30, when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? When they were coming to the ship, the Bible says the wind ceased. So here's Peter. He's walking on the water. He's being a part of the impossible. 
He's getting to do something that is impossible. It's beyond his capability and undoubtedly by the hand of God. That's what we all desire to do. But notice, in order to continue to do the impossible, it's going to cost him one more thing. Number three tonight, I want you to notice that being a part of the impossible, it costs you your worry. All right? It's going to cost you your worry. Peter was doing fine. He was participating in the impossible until he started worrying. Now, listen, it's easy to armchair quarterback tonight. I get that. Truthfully, most of us would have never gotten out of the boat. Will we agree with that? Most of us would have never gotten out of the boat. So it's hard to condemn Peter, but I'll tell you this. Worry is the enemy of doing the impossible. Okay? Worry is the enemy of doing or being a part of anything impossible that God desires to do through us. Look out through all Scripture. Look in the Old Testament. Look at the New Testament. People that were called of God or led to do something beyond themselves at at some point, sooner or later, they had to deal with worry. And I assure you, if you don't deal with worry, worry will deal with you. And what we see happening to Peter is worry is dealing with Peter. Why didn't the children of Israel get to possess the promised land. Let's boil it down. Boil it down. They were worried. They were worried about the giants. They were worried about the battle. They were worried about dying. They were worried. And they allowed that worry to keep them from being a part of something that God desired for them. What did Esther have to deal with before she was used of God to do something beyond herself? What did Esther have to deal with? You say, well, it's not spelled out. I think if you'll read between the lines, you'll see it. What did she tell Mordecai? If I perish, I perish. Esther was thinking about the ramifications of her decision. If I go into the king, which is against the law, I could lose my life. And Esther's having to having this conflict within her about doing what God is desiring her to do or worrying about what the consequences are going to be. You see, she's going to have to get rid of that worry in order to be a part of what God desires to do. I remember the times that God has led us from place to place in our ministry. Obviously, there were worries. There were doubts. There were fears. There were uncertainties, things that we did not know. But can I tell you one of the most wonderful ways to overcome worry, to be a part of the impossible? Watch this. It's in verse 29. The only thing Peter had to worry about was being obedient to what he knew that God had told him to do. Verse 29, the Bible just says one word in red letters. He says, come. That's the only thing we as the people of God really have to worry about. Well, listen, Matthew chapter 6, we read about the new disciples. He says, take no thought where you're gonna, uh, what you're going to eat, where you're going to sleep, or what you're going to do. Take no thought for those things. He said, those are the things that I worry about. But seek ye first the kingdom of God. He said, there's your worry right there. That's the only thing that you're required to worry about. The only thing that you take care of is making sure you seek first the kingdom of God. And all these other things, listen, I'll take care of them. I'll tell you time and time again in my ministry how we've seen God do what God promised he would do, and yet how often do I doubt him? I've seen God do greater things, and yet I will worry myself over small things that I honestly have nothing that I can do about. God says, why don't you just leave that to me? That's why Philippians 4, 6, the Bible says, be careful for nothing. Be careful for nothing. Don't worry. There's no need to worry. Why? All we have to care about is obedience. He told Peter to come. That's the only thing Peter had to focus on was being obedient to do what Christ had told him to do. And I'll promise you, if we'll be obedient to what we know, God will always take care of the rest. 
and we can be a part of the impossible. Somebody said once, worry never robs tomorrow of its sorrow. It only saps today of its joy. Isn't that true? Worry never solves the problems of tomorrow, but it definitely saps today of its joy. Can I tell you something? All I'm required to do is be obedient to the Word and the will of God, and as long as I'm obedient to that, God will take care of all these things. And He's done it every time in my life. Someone said, why worry when you can trust? It says worry is like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but never gets you anywhere. Isn't that the truth? It does give you something to do. We all enjoy doing it Cracker Barrel, don't we? That's another sign that I'm getting old. I'm actually using those things now. We leave Cracker Barrel, and I'll sit there on the front porch, and we'll just rock together. And yes, I have things to do. There's just something fun about rocking. And it gives you something to do, but we never go anywhere, do we? That's what worry does. In order to do the impossible, or to be a part of something impossible, it's going to cost us our worry. It begins with a want to. There's got to be a desire. What made Peter ask Christ, bid me come to thee on the water? He just wanted to. Tonight, we have to have a desire to be a part of something only God could do. I don't believe God's done doing the impossible. Call me naive. I don't believe God's done. I believe God and his resources stand at the ready for the people of God. But first, we've got to want it. We've got to desire it. Then number two, we've got to be willing. Put that want to work and be willing. Decide, you know what? I'm going to do whatever I need to do. All Peter had to do was do what he said do. Come. Come out of the boat. And then finally, it's going to cost you your worry. The Bible says in Luke 1, with God, nothing shall be impossible. Nothing shall be impossible with God. So you know what I need to do if I want to be a part of that impossible things that God can do? I've got to make sure I stick with God. That's the, listen, that's a tall order in and of itself. Why worry about the things that God's going to take care of? Our worry should be simply being with God. Because with God, nothing shall be impossible. But oftentimes, we try to do God's job. We try to hold up all the ends of the bargain that God said, I'll take care of. And during that time, guess what? We drift away from God. He says, look, when you're with me, nothing shall be impossible. I want you to know my heart's desire for our church is that in spite of all that we're going through, that we see God do the impossible here. You say, well, what is the impossible? It's something that's beyond us. And it's something that's undoubtedly God. It's something beyond our capability. And I believe God will do his job. As the kids sang, I believe the book. I believe the book. I believe the promises of this book. And if we'll just have a desire and a want and then be willing and let go of our worry, I believe we'll have an opportunity to walk on water just as Peter did tonight. So here's my question to us tonight. Do we want it bad enough? Are we willing? And will we let go of our worry to be a part of God doing the impossible here at Central Baptist Church? Let's have our heads bowed tonight. Our eyes closed just for a few minutes. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Tonight, why don't we decide the only thing we're going to worry about, if you want to use those terms, is we're going to worry about sticking with God. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. I assure you, the devil is going to try to distract us with other cares and worries, but our desire should be simply to stick with God. We're going to stay with him because when we're with God, nothing shall be impossible to us. I pray tonight we all have a desire. I pray we have a want to tonight. 
And then most importantly, let us be willing to be a part of what God desires to do through our church. Father God, I